This podcast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by Ape Entertainment, who is proud to present the return of Drew Hayes' Poison Elves coming to a comic shop near you this March. And by the way, I'm Casey Baum, an apparent two-headed nerd love slave, gross, and writer of Girl Meets Nerd for THN.com, and you're listening to the two-headed nerd comic cast with Joe and Matt. Welcome to the double-sized, extra-value-packed, gatefold, <laughs> 15-variant-having, 100th edition of TNT. Hollow, hollow foil? We're talking comics and nerd news of the week of Wednesday, January 23rd. My name is Matt Baum. That's at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not texting wiener pics to my co-host, I'm appraising comics and writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorkPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not learning what a Metis actually is, thanks to my co-host's texts, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist of Good Plus, which you can find at www.goodpluscomic.com. I injured my Metis beyond repair last night. <laughs> this week, you'll hear reviews of Star Trek Countdown to Darkness number one and Young Avengers number one. After that, we'll review ten more comics so fast we won't even have to worry about how much time we have to cut... The whatever colored wire it was during Ludicrous Speed Round. And we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where a massage from mutants will help us learn the secrets of next week's comics. And finally, we'll prove we can read a book with more than 32 pages when we review Ed Brubaker and Michael Lark's scene of the crime while we host our monthly Take a Look, It's in a Book segment. But before we get to everything you guys hate about this show, let's take a second to wish ourselves a happy second birthday so you guys can get ready for our terrible twos. Oh, and it's going to be awful. And then we can talk about this week's big news. The Mutant Massage was my favorite crossover in the 80s. The Mutant Massage. (laughs) Here's your moral lesson for this week, kids. J.J. Abrams cannot be trusted. He a liar. After denying any involvement in the project as recently as last month, it looks like Star Trek rebooter J.J. Abrams is a lock to direct Star Wars Episode 7. This report comes from multiple sources, including Deadline and The Hollywood Reporter, and Deadline goes so far as to call it, quote, a done deal. Abrams has certainly proven that he has the ability to breathe new life into an old franchise, and the news seems to have a lot of fans very excited. What this deal means for his involvement with Star Trek is uncertain. What do you think, Matt? I think we know exactly what this deal means to his involvement with Star Suck Trek. Suck a d- Star Trek! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only thing that upsets me about this is he's not going to be doing Star Trek anymore. Here's the thing, though. That's he already like elevated Star Trek. I know. And so, pass the ball to right. the next guy. Sure, one of his and first then, directors or something. Yeah. Uh, and then take, uh, like, I am super excited. I think I, it's great. I think it's great, and I don't think there's anyone out there more uniquely qualified to do this. It's honestly. true. Uh, I think he's got a real appreciation for these characters, and I, at least Star Trek has shown that he can do something really special and new with it while right. still being reverent to it. Yes. And not just letting us down. And considering that this isn't even a reboot, this is picking up from old continuity takes place after right. return of the jedi it's just more what isn't there to love is that a sentence what is there not what's to love? not to love what's not to what love? isn't there to love <laughs> <laughs> no i like it i think it I, I think this is definitely very cool watch for all the haters be like whoa lost sucked well so listen, this is gonna be terrible even perpetual curmudgeon ryan forrest the dhn mouthpiece <laughs> is super pumped for it and so i think you can take that as an indicator that this is good news for all of there us. There we go. In other Hollywood news, Godacy creator... <laughs> Sorry. Godacy creator Robert Leefield has written a screenplay adapting the dramatic events that led to the creation of Image Comics. Leefield shared excerpts of the script on Twitter this week, along with his dream casting picks. The project called Icons runs the gamut from Rob's first meeting with Todd McFarlane, their heated departure from Marvel, and Rob's run-in with a machine gun-toting Eazy-E. Really? True story. <laughs> Leefield's dream cast includes Christian Bale as a perpetually intense Todd McFarlane, Star Trek's John Cho as Jim Lee, Rob Corddry as Eric Larson, 
and Captain James T. Kirk himself, Chris Pine, as Rob Leefield. Okay, Rob. Yeah. You're not hard on the eyes. Naturally. You're no Chris Pine, buddy. Sorry. <laughs> the script excerpts can easily be found online and are well worth a read, though poor Tom DeFalco probably wouldn't agree. Is, they Patrick, are not kind. What do you think? Who plays Tom DeFalco? But it was just not kind. Like Danny DeVito. As Tom <laughs> <laughs> no. I read these three excerpts last night while I was writing this story, and they are buh- Nanas. Oh, really? Yes. Yes. Todd McFarlane calls everybody Bud repeatedly. Hey, Bud. Hey, Bud. I'm the real moneymaker here, Bud. (laughs) And he wears like a black trench coat and swoops through the halls like Christian Bale. What? Yeah. But that's not, he's not, Christian Bale isn't playing Rob Leafield. He's playing Todd McFarlane. I mean, Todd McFarlane. Sorry. Uh, And it's, it's just insane. And the Easy E story. That's real? It's Well, it's really in the script. <laughs> okay, it's really in the script. And anyway. I did find a picture online of a young Rob Liefeld with Eazy-E. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'm Confirmation. They at, they at least were in the same place. Rob Liefeld. <laughs> there he is. Yeah, the story is that like Eazy-E came up to him at a store signing and said, you know, something very racially charged that probably should not have been written by Rob Liefeld. And uh, what said did Rob Liefeld ever write was racially charged? No, no, no. He like the dialogue he puts in Easy E's mouth, it was not something oh. I would feel comfortable repeating on the show. Okay. Uh, he says, Oh, we gotta make comics together and he goes into his trunk to get him some CDs. And the trunk is full of assault rifles. That's like, actually very believable. Uh, yeah. That's, and, that's not hard to believe at all. Oh, uh, it's just crazy. Uh, that said, I would love to watch a movie about the formation. Oh, I'd of Image watch the Comics. hell out of it. Yeah, I'd watch the hell out of it. That'd be fantastic. But yeah, you got to go find these scripts. They're hilarious. I will definitely do. We'll put a link to these in the show notes. This week. Yes, and if you yeah, if you can't wait, if you're not near a computer, just or if you're not near the show notes, just Google Rob Liefeld image script, and you'll find it. It's it's all over the news today, and it is well worth seeking out. Seek out Metus too. Seek, yeah, Google Metus, M E A T U S, and you're going to learn something. I sure did. And finally, are you ready for Superman's gal pal, Jimmy Olsen? A character listing on the IMDb page for Zack Snyder's Man of Steel has set the internet abuzz. Actress Rebecca Buller is listed on the page as playing Jenny Olsen in the upcoming film. While it's worth noting that incorrect information gets posted to IMDb all the time, it's also worth noting that there has been no mention of a Jimmy Olsen appearance up to this point. True. And Buller is definitely in the film. She can be seen running alongside Lawrence Fishburne's Perry White in the trailer as the Daily Planet is like crumbling behind them or whatever. It's her. Comic news sites seem to be falling all over themselves trying to be the first to pledge their support of the idea, but THN has never had much time for political correctness. I believe it's political correctitude. <laughs> political correctitude. Matt Bomb, let us have it. Dumb. It's so dumb. It's just dumb. And it's not because I dislike girls or I dislike actresses or whatever. It's just dumb. There's nothing wrong with Jimmy Olsen. We don't need to change Jimmy Olsen. He's a timeless character. He's part of the Superman mythos. He does not need to be a sexy girl. You're right, and it's not like... Like, are there no redheaded dudes working in Hollywood? Is that the problem? I mean, not a single one. I guess the argument for it from all of these comic sites that are like, oh, it's how progressive. How progressive? Bullshit. You know uh, who's progressive? Lois Lane. She's one of the most progressive characters <laughs> in comics. But here's the thing it's not that I care if they want to insert a, a new female character into the Superman movie. That's fine. Make her a new character. Because Jimmy Olsen is a great character. Right. Or let her play Cat, whatever her name is. Sure. Or, you know, or there's plenty of females you can bring in the Superman mythos. It's true. She could be Lana Lang. I mean, come on. The thing I'm about. Just, also a redhead, by the way. The thing about Jimmy Olsen is that he's Superman's best friend. Yes. And I don't care how progressive you think you are. That's not really going to make any sense. It doesn't add anything. It doesn't add yeah, anything. Like, is he really going to be best buddies with a with Jenny Olsen, young twenty something photographer right. for the Daily Planet? Right. I it, I just don't see it. Not that guys and girls can't be best friends. One of my best friends is a girl. Believe it or not, she puts. Up I don't with me. believe it. <laughs> but it's just this doesn't. This is just change for the sake of change. It doesn't add anything. It's that's, stupid. Yes, and that's my point. I mean, I I don't want to come off as saying it's uh you know insulting or that it's uh bad for comics or whatever that they're 
shoving this female character into the Superman, by all means, make a new female character. But it is really just change for the sake of it. Yeah. Just to get headlines or whatever you want to call it. It's unnecessary. It makes me... It doesn't even strike me as a, a grab for headlines. I, My guess is this is more of guys sitting around the reading room going, how come there's no female leads in this movie? I don't know. Uh, what, what if we change Jenny to Jimmy? I like it. Do it. You know? And like, boom. That's yeah. how Hollywood thinks. They don't care. They're not trying to grab headlines. They're just trying to make sure that, how are we going to trick girls into seeing this movie? Which <laughs> just drives me nuts. You know? I'm sure we're digging ourselves a hole here. But uh, yeah, well, let's just... give women a little bit of credit. If the movie is good, they'll enjoy it. Period. It's not like, oh, it wasn't girly enough. I mean, this isn't Sex in the City. It's fucking Superman. You know? Yeah. I just, I don't need it. I don't think we need it. And I think it does a disservice to the character of Jimmy Olsen to just shoehorn in this gender swap for no good reason. Uh, it's all marketing and it stinks. And we love our sisters. We love women. It has nothing to do with that. The point is, let's give women some credit and show them a good movie. I am, I am, I am Superman, and I know what's happening. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, head over to our Facebook page where you can see a picture of Joe Patrick's meatus. Uh, well, let's not. Meatus, meatus, me. Wow. Tweet my main meatus, Joe Patrick. Post the question of the week on Facebook and Twitter, and then we read your damn responses on the show. This week's question was, there's no getting around it. Hollywood is going to alter your beloved comic properties in some way after they get their filthy paws on them. Give us your vote for the best and worst changes you've seen in a comic book movie. Our first response comes from Harvey Locust, who writes, Worst change is Mystique's skin in the X-Men films. Yeah. I love her. They made her a reptile. <laughs> yeah, I love her, you know, in the dress with the skull belt. Why do they have to make her, like, all weird and blumpy? Like, get, she's some sort of monster. My guess is they were going for, like, the chameleon kind you of know, thing. Oh, sure, I get it, Which but I'm with dumb. them. It, That's it, dumb. It was... It was an excuse for them to get Rebe Rebecca Romaine Stamos to walk around naked, with, well, but yeah. not really naked. In a bodysuit. Right. Next up, Stephen Kohler says his worst changes are turning the Hulk's father into the absorbing man. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> in Ang Lee's Hulk movie. Well, now, and and Zazax. He was both the absorbing <laughs> he man and He was sort Zazax. of the absorbing man and, <laughs> and Zazax, yeah. And also, uh, not... Spoilers here, guys. Not having the TV Walking Dead Shane go out the same way he did in the comic. And I don't disagree. I think I don't that disagree, but I feel like they did handle it very well in the show. I think that in the comic, uh, Shane's death was a real turning point for one particular character. Right. And in the show, they copped out. They copped out. They made Rick do it. And there were no you know, consequences and so I am with Steven on that one. All right, fair enough. That's fair. He says, of course, best changes, everything Nolan's Batman, that's going to be a recurring theme. Shane Vanek writes in saying, uh, his best is the addition of Harley Quinn to the Batman animated universe. She is a fun character in that show. Uh, worst organic web shooters in the Raimi Spider-Man movie. Fair enough. Uh, they could have just added him designing them. In the making of the costume montage. Right. And shown that Peter is, in fact, a genius scientist. And instead, and we're left wondering, like, does he have to eat more? And is he pooping <laughs> yeah. webs? Yeah. Where, <laughs> you know, like, what are those webs made out of? <laughs> Poop webs. Joe Michalunas says, the worst that have yet to be said, Galactus as a cloud in the second Fantastic Four movie. Aha. Uh -huh, but. A cloud. There was precedent for this. He was a cloud of insects in Warren Ellis's. Yeah, also stupid. <laughs> it was dumb. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Also stupid. He goes on to say that Colin Farrell's Irish bullseye was terrible. Oh, God. <laughs> bullseye. <laughs> that might have been Australian. Like, can you pick the man out of the lineup? Yeah, it's the guy with the bullseye on his head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like, what an impressive assassin you are, sir. Uh, and for his best, it is, a, of course, uh, Nolan's Batman universe. He was able to take some fairly over-the-top and somewhat supernatural villains and make them make sense in yes. a very real-world yes. superhero movie. Absolutely, Joe. And finally, Michael Robertson says, I think the ending of Watchmen 
was one of the best changes. I totally agree. It, I won't go in, uh, into uh, what happens. In it. I'll save that for the answer of the week, but it's one of mine as well. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, for his worst, Deadpool in Wolverine Origins was a really bad interpretation <laughs> oh, God, of the character. I almost forgot. <laughs> He's supposed to be just <sighs> bad crazy, and he was very, very far from that. And sexy. Uh, yeah, it was very was, strange. And then he had swords in his arms that were longer <laughs> than his arms. Yeah, like when they were, well, they were just as long as his arms, but if they were fully retracted, how did he like... How he, bend? How could he bend at the elbow? Yeah, you know. And why weren't they coming out of his shoulder? Uh, yeah, great answers so far, guys. We will check in again later on in the show. It's review time on THN, where DJ and I take two of this week's new comics to our village wise men and then consult the bones to see if they were any good. Joe Patrick, what'd you read this week? My pick for the week was Young Avengers number one from Marvel Comics, written by Kieran Gillen, with art by Jamie McKelvey, with some help by Mike Norton. That guy is everywhere. He is. Battle Pug creator Mike Norton. Colors on this one were by Matthew Wilson, and here is your solicit. Legacy isn't a dirty word, but it's an irrelevant one. It's not important what our parents did. It matters what we do. Someone has to save the world. You're someone. Do the math. The critically acclaimed team of Gillen, McKelvey, Wilson, with added Norton sauce, decide to reinvent the teen superhero comic for the 21st century, uniting Wiccan, Hulkling, and Hawkeye with Loki, Marvel Boy, and Miss America. No pressure. Young Avengers is as now as the air in your lungs and twice as vital. It's the book that knows hyperbole is the best thing ever! That's a good solicit. The first thing you notice about this book is that somebody, probably Jamie McKelvey, designed the hell out of it. It's very reminiscent of Hawkeye, not in the visual style, but in the sense that the actual design of the pages and how they work with the text effects really changes the feel of the book, and this book feels very, very cool. It's been a long time since we've seen the Young Avengers together, and most of the team are dead, are otherwise unavailable, so Gillen infuses the book with some new blood in the form of Marvel Boy, Kid Loki, and Miss America Chavez. Gillen has a really great knack for writing young characters. Each cast member has a unique voice that feels genuine and not like an old man trying to put words into the mouths of teenagers. Is this the same Marvel Boy that was recently an Avenger? Yeah. How old is he supposed to be? He's young. Okay, because in the Avengers, I felt like, I don't know, 20s? I mean, he might be 20, like very young 20s. All right, whatever. There's a really loving uh, depiction of Hulkling and Wiccan, and it's especially touching, and it serves to fill in some of the gaps for new readers. Uh, It was a really excellent way to kind of give some backstory of what's gone on over the past, like, five years since Young Avengers was able to crank out its 18 issues or however many it was. Not very many. Kid Loki is also a lot of fun here, which is no surprise considering Gillen's history with the character. Now, the art by Jamie McKelvey is completely gorgeous. He's an excellent storyteller, and he keeps the flow of each page dynamic and exciting, even if he's just illustrating talking heads. Mike Norton helps out a bit with the backgrounds, and it's completely seamless. Uh, there was a neat little article this week on iFanboy that shows exactly how the two are collaborating. Uh, check it out. It was kind of interesting. We'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. McKelvey would do background sketches with this thing called Google SketchUp, and then Mike Norton would go in and ink it and add depth and, and change it around as needed. It's a really interesting process. Those noises you hear in the background, by the way, my friend Tony, we're uh, remodeling. The ziggurat, the ziggurat is getting upgraded for our second birthday. We're getting indoor plumbing. We don't have to go out to the outhouse anymore. If I do have one complaint, it's that there's a little bit of sameness in the characters' faces. And it's I've noticed that about McKelvey a a lot. Uh, Each character, like male and female are different, but if you look from male to male to male, there's not a whole lot of uh, differentiation between the actual faces. I'll give you that. And like so like even early on in the book, the scrolls show up. And the scrolls are super handsome, <laughs> which is very weird. Well, if you're a shape changer, why wouldn't you be super handsome? No, but they're still like bumpy and green on the bottom, like on their chins and stuff, but their faces are just like, uh, they're kind of heartthrobby. It's a little weird. 
There's a super creepy cliffhanger at the end that has me really excited for the next issue. Plus, I'm eager to see how the team gets together. This isn't exactly the team-building story you might expect it to be. Uh, I'm giving this one a huge buy it. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad the Young Avengers are back. And I'm glad that somebody as talented as Kieran Gillen and McKelvey are here to take it over because they could have just handed it to anybody. Yeah, I'm really glad that especially after Gillen's performance on Journey into Mystery, that he still has Loki to play with. If you didn't read his Journey into Mystery run, you missed out. It was so much fun. Nobody should be writing Kid Loki but Kieran Gillen. Do you have a rating, Matt? I didn't read this book yet. That's two weeks in a row. I'm a busy guy. Uh Uh-huh. Unlike Joe Patrick, I have to do. Right. What did you read this week? This week, I read Star Trek Countdown to Darkness, number one, written by Roberto Orsi and Mike Johnson with art by David Messina. Here is your solicit. The countdown to the motion picture event of 2013 begins here in this blockbuster four-issue prequel miniseries that sets the stage for the upcoming Star Trek film. Like the best-selling Star Trek countdown in 2009, this all-new series leads directly into the next movie, which I'm pretty sure they just told us that at the beginning of this solicit. Yeah. With the story by Star Trek writer-producer Roberto Orsi and Mike Johnson and drawn by the original Star Trek countdown artist David Messina. Star Trek Countdown to Darkness is the can't-miss lead-in to the new adventures of the Enterprise crew! Exclamation point! Once again, we find ourselves with a Star Trek miniseries that's going to lead us into the next movie, and once again, it sold out very quickly, and it's going to be kind of hard to find. For those of you who aren't paying attention, there's quite a bit of buzz about Benjamin Cumberbatch's character, mainly centering on whether or not he is going to be playing Khan. Joe doesn't think so. I still think he might be. And if you don't know who Cumberbatch is, he is Sherlock Holmes in the BBC Sherlock, not that piece of crap Sherlock Holmes in Elementary. That show is actually not bad. I'm not watching it. It's actually pretty good. Refuse. Spoiler alert here. They don't reveal anything. But once again, (laughs) we've got a perfectly written Star Trek story that feels just as cool as the first J.J. Abrams Trek movie. Orsi and Johnson are doing a really nice job setting up a mystery here, showing us Spock having these nightmarish visions of the future. Kirk and Spock and a small away team go to investigate a planet with a, with a society similar in tech to ancient Rome, but somehow they've been gifted with this huge technological leap. So, gotta go check it out. Just how it works. And guess what? Something goes wrong. <laughs> and while there, they meet an unexpected friend question mark yeah i had to look him up I but it too. is a character that exists he's an established guy Lord. and i had to look him up as well and went oh neat i did recognize the name i just needed some mm-hmm. context artist david messina is just exceptional as usual doing a fantastic job capturing the likenesses of the actors without it getting annoying it doesn't feel photo reference you know how i feel about that yeah it, but here's the difference and i had to think about this when after i wrote this review it doesn't feel photo-referenced. It right. feels like he's drawn these characters enough that he can make them look like living, moving people. Yes, and that is the difference between somebody that is a good artist and right. somebody that traces. It's like, I'll draw the shoulders, I'll draw the arms, and now I'll draw Brad Pitt's face. You know? Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> like, just dumb. Hey, I'm looking at you, Tim Bradstreet. Your Star Trek covers suck. I kind of like them. They are way, way too traced. Have you seen them in black and white? Okay, anyway, anyway, anyway. <laughs> It's like he imported him into Photoshop I'm, I'm and just turned on a couple of filters. Unless you bash Mr. Tim Bradstreet, the man is a legend. I know that he's great. I know he can do better. These covers are not good. That's your opinion. If you My loved, correct opinion. If you love the first film, you'll love this miniseries. And there's no reason why you shouldn't be reading the monthly series, because it's just as much fun. I gave my uh, best sci-fi series, Beppo, to everything Star Trek that IDW did last year, because they deserve it. They're killing it here, and they're the way they're killing it is by getting the creators of the movie to actually write this stuff. If you're excited for Star Trek the film, go and buy this comic if you can still find it. It was really great. I, I agree. It was very, very good. Star Trek Countdown, the first series, was very, very good. Mm-hmm. And this is the exact same team. Star Trek Countdown is the series that made me realize it's going to be okay. Yeah. It's a reboot, sort of. You know, it's an alternate reality. The things that I love about Star Trek still exist. Right. And this is a new thing. And even after reading Countdown, I still walked into the theater going, there's no way they're going to do it. 
Oh no. no I way was I, I like I had no doubt in my mind that I was gonna love that movie and if it had been terrible, no, I knew I, I would have been devastated. I knew I was gonna love the movie. I was not worried about that. I was just I thought there was no way that they would carry through with the storyline. That it's Spock from an alternate reality. Totally did. It yeah. was awesome. Yes. And this is another great setup, or at least the start of one. Um, I am not actually expecting to find out any more about, you know, like the mystery of the villain or anything like that. But I think it will get us to that place we need to be for the start of the new movie. Yeah. If you're a Trek fan, it is must read. Huge buy it. So that's a single buy it for Young Avengers number one and a double buy it for Star Trek Countdown to Darkness. Of course, we want to know what you Magic Twins and Red Shirts thought of these comics, so drop us your opinions over at the comments section for this episode on TwoHeadedNerd.com. Ladies and gentle nerds, I have just received information that the Hatemonger has hidden a mad bomb somewhere in the ziggurat, and unless Matt and I can find and defuse it, the resulting detonation will turn his pugs, beeps, and Mabel into crazed monsters that'll hold him down, tear out his throat, and then feast on his fresh corpse. You're reading that wrong. They would never do that to me. I'm their father. They're, uh-huh. they're going to kill you. Right. Uh, this so, is for your sake. Uh-huh. So if we want to get Mattis out of here alive, we better review these ten comics fast and we defuse this thing. We're not calling me Mattis. <laughs> this week's Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed. Go! JSA, The Liberty Files, The Whistling Skull, number two. I wanted to give this a second. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to give this a second chance because I love the concept of the Liberty Files. I love Tony Harris. The art is neat. The art is great. I can't follow it. Yeah, it, does. I, it doesn't make any it sense. It does not make sense. Like I swear to God, characters that are in later scenes die two pages earlier, <laughs> and there's no indicator that there's a time jump, that it's a different character, nope. or anything. Nope. It is completely impenetrable that said the art is beautiful i'm gonna stick with it because i just i'm leaving it i'm giving it a skim i'm leaving it this i'm giving it a skim mind management number seven from dark horse uh writer matt kent is the smartest kid in the room there's a story written on every inch of this page and it's all, way too intimidating all kinds of supplemental info it's so cool I went through, I read the comic, I turned the comic sideways, and I read all the coded stuff that was on the yeah. sides of the page, and then I went and read all the stuff on the bottom of the page, and it's all part of the same story. It is an amazing mind twist. This is a new story arc, and a great jumping on point. The inside cover brings you up to speed for everything you need to know. I love this book. Buy it. Hell yeah, number six from Image. Uh, we read the first one of these, I think, on the show, and I didn't really keep up with it. It's by Joe Keating. And uh, this was a new story arc, a, a jumping on point. It takes place sometime in the future, and it does a great job getting you caught up. And actually, I like this a lot more than I did when it started. Really? Yeah, I really enjoy I the premise. Yeah, go. I let it go. I, I think you should check it out. I'm giving this a buy it. It's got great art by unpronounceable Russian artists. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's a lot of consonants and no vowels. But it, it's a really great job. If you gave Sorry, up on Russian Hell Yeah, <laughs> if you gave up on Hell Yeah, check it out. This is a, an all-new jumping on point. I loved it. Buy it. Uncanny X-Force number one from Marvel. Uh, we got a couple things back here, namely Mohawk Storm out of nowhere. Boom. Love it. Puck was in hell. That is confirmed. <laughs> but he's feeling much better now. Betsy Braddock gets kicked out of the Jean Grey school, and now we'll be sending her on secret missions. And it's kind of fun the way they ride it. Yeah. He's like gently trying to tell her to go and continue X-Force without telling her to go and continue X-Force. And finally, he's like, just get the hell out and go read your email. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's great. Sam Humphreys is doing a great job writing really smart superhero dialogue here. The art by Garney looks better than that dude has Wonderful. ever been. I loved it. Buy this. Yeah, if you were worried about X-Force, don't be. It's Deadpool, Illustrated, number one from Marvel. Uh, I picked this up because it is my duty. And uh, it, it's got a weird premise. Deadpool going through actual literature and killing famous literary characters like yeah. Moby Dick and Ishmael from Moby Dick. There you go. And, I believe he meets Tom Sawyer in the next one. Right. And so... You know, I knew what I was getting into. What I didn't know is that it is a direct continuation from Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe, where Deadpool figures out that he's a comic book character. 
It's completely unfun. Deadpool colon, do we need this? Yes, it's, it's everything about Deadpool that I hate and nothing about Deadpool that I enjoy. Don't talk about it anymore. And I'm giving it a leave it. There we go. The answer, number one from Dark Horse. Dennis Hopeless has come to be synonymous with writing fun, smart superhero comics, and this one is not an exception. I love the design of the answer. He's just a guy with the skin-tight blue outfit and an exclamation point on his face. very striking. (laughs) I really like it. Mike Norton is the artist here, and he's great as usual. Now, I will say, there was a scene directly lifted out of RoboCop, and I can't tell if I liked it or it made me mad that it was directly lifted. Where... The guy. I haven't seen RoboCop, Matt, because you wouldn't let me watch it during my bachelor party. Bachelor party. We don't watch movies for a bachelor party. Whatever. We have sex with hookers. Okay. <laughs> Move on. I got off track. Uh, it was a scene where a guy is holding a woman hostage, and the answer shoots, oh, shoots through the shotgun legs. between her the her dress and like hits the guy in the crime. directly out of RoboCop. That's it. Great cliffhanger ending here. Very smart story. Fun, fun, fun. Buy it. Avengers number three from Marvel. This is the conclusion of Jonathan Hickman's first story arc. It looks like he's doing bite-sized chunks, and it works. Uh, Things get wrapped up. The large team shows up, and as you might have predicted, Captain Universe is really the only one they needed to take. (laughs) Go figure. Uh, It's full of really fun moments. The art is beyond astonishing. Yeah, Jerome Pena. Oh, my God. There's a series of two panels with Shang-Chi in them that I want to tattoo on my face. Wow. They're so gorgeous. Uh, This couldn't be a bigger bias for me. Not everything in it works, but it's so big in scope and so much fun to read. I just can't say enough good things about it. Buy it. Uncanny Avengers number three from Marvel. I've been having a lot of fun with Uncanny Avengers so far, but I will say in the first two issues, I don't remember the narration being this heavy-handed. Like, every panel had a giant block of narration where it was like, Wolverine got hit so hard that he fell down and hit his head, but he knew he had to get back up <laughs> and walk into the next panel where we can see him moving down. That you're like, okay, I get it. You know, <laughs> like, easy, Rick Remender. Just show us the story. That said, it was super fun. The Red Skull is officially the scariest villain in the Marvel U. I love the idea of him going after mutants because they're the ultimate like dog race, and he can say all this totally racist stuff without offending any readers or anything because mutants don't actually exist. It's pretty intense. It's fun. There's some really good Havoc and Cap moments here. Narration a little heavy-handed. Bye. Bedlam, number three for minutes. This book was really late. Uh, I'm glad it finally hit the stands. This, you may remember, is the story of a crazy supervillain getting cured and then working with the police to solve murders. The thing I didn't know going in is that the police don't think he... They think he's the killer, and he's not. So he's there helping him close all these cases. Right. And they think he's confessing. <laughs> and it's really great. It's a really fun take on this idea. It's got beautiful, scary, disgusting, gross art by Riley Rossmo. I can't say enough good things. I wish it came out a little bit more timely, but every time it does, it's super fun. I'm giving it a buy it. Exo Man War number nine from Valiant. This is the prelude to Planet Death. What? Coming soon here. Artist Trevor Hairsign is so good on this book. It is beautiful to look at. His fight scenes are great. They're kinetic. They're badass. It's savagely violent. <laughs> I love this book. Exo is the toughest comic being published right now. This issue sets up a big fight scene between Eric, the main character, and the alien that killed his family, and it looks like Eric is going to cut the dude in half. <laughs> I love this comic. Bye. Fun story. Uh, back in the day, Carrie Nord replaced Trevor Hairsign on Class War. You remember that book? Yes. Yeah. And now Trevor Hairsign replaced Carrie Nord on XO <laughs> It is true. It is true. Rumble! That is your ludicrous speed round, and Rumble is the sound it makes when a badass alien punches XO Manowar out of the sky and into the street below, as seen in this week's issue of XO Manowar. Number nine. By the way, that's R M M M B L. After barely escaping a bomb threat, Joe and I have decided to call both our favorite six armed masseurs. I've been seeing Spiral for years now, and she does a wonderful job. Joe prefers the strong hands of Man Spider, who can really get down into his problem areas. Some heavy glute work, paired with a little hallucinogenic Mojoverse massage oil, will now show us the secrets 
of next week's comics. You haven't lived until you've received a man spider meatus massage. I didn't mention we're being massaged in the Sanctum Sanctorum. I forgot to write that in. <laughs> you said masseurs. I said the, the masseurs there. I never mentioned we're in the Sanctum. Well, why'd you call them then? <laughs> oh, well, they're massaging us in the Sanctum. Oh, I see. You didn't announce the name of the segment. Exactly. Professional. <laughs> What's your pick? For this week, Joe Patrick. My pick is Hawkeye, number seven, written by Matt Fraction with art by Steve Lieber. This is the Hurricane Sandy issue that was a little bit delayed because Matt Fraction volunteered to donate all of his royalties and money that he makes from the sale of this issue to Hurricane Sandy Relief. Goddamn sweetheart. What a sweetheart. I think that everyone should check this out, reward their good work. It's going to be great, and it's for a good cause. Yeah. So what's your goddamn problem? Yeah, seriously, haters. Matt, what's your pick for next week? My pick for next week is Doctor Who, Prisoners of Time, written by David Timpton, with art by Simon Fraser, and covers by the amazing Francesco Francavilla. This 12-issue miniseries stars all 11 Doctors together for the first time and represents my first foray into Doctor Who comics. Oh, hold on to your butts. I'm giving it a go. <laughs> <laughs> Our trade paperback pick of the week is The Legend of Zelda Hyrule Historia. This hardcover contains the complete history of Hyrule Every Legend of Zelda game ever made, character concepts, an official timeline, it is the dorkiest thing oh, I have yeah. ever laid eyes on. I've seen it, and it is amazing. This is your Legend of Zelda source book. Never before seen By the way, you're not art. even lowering your voice anymore, and you're so loud <laughs> because we've turned the volume up. I'm really, really excited. It'll be on shelves next week. Seek it out at your local comic book store. It's bananas. And be sure to tell us what comics having all your cracks and crevices rubbed out makes you want to read over at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Oh, oh, that's that's nice. That's really nice. Oh, disgusting. Before we move on, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. The Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast is brought to you by Ape Entertainment. Since 2003, Ape has been bringing readers original and licensed comics and graphic novels like this week's issue of Richie Rich Gems number 48. It's fun for you and your little guys. And the upcoming return of Drew Hayes' Poison Elves, which continues the saga where it abruptly ended back in 2007. Look for Poison Elves in this month's previews catalog on page 244 and pre-order your copy today. Check out ape-entertainment.com for more. For information on how you can sponsor The Two-Headed Nerd, send us an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com with the subject line, Sponsorship, if you are so foolish as to do so. <laughs> Joe Patrick, before we move along, why don't you read us some more answers to the question of the week? Rich Gallagher writes in saying, I'd go with the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie for the best. Sure, they made some concessions to keep it kid-friendly, but much of the original spirit of the early Mirage books is in there. I will take your word for it. Uh, yeah. But much of the original... Oh, I already read that part. For the worst, I'd have to say The Crow. In James O'Barr's book, he was vulnerable when he interfered with the affairs of the living, yet kept a cool, ghostly feel to The Crow's powers. In the movie... His powers were tied to an actual crow. Why? It felt like a video game boss. It, it was stupid. Nob Audie. Welcome aboard, Nob. Welcome aboard. <laughs> I made a dumbass Facebook account just to finally be able to take part in this. <laughs> Knee-jerk reaction to this question is to say that Road to Perdition was a favorite and Hellboy was a failure. Upon thinking about it a little more, it makes sense to me that I feel this way because honestly, who read Road to Perdition before it was a movie? And who didn't go into Hellboy already loving it? Those are pretty good points. That's an excellent point. If you take a property that people aren't vehement about, it's much harder to mess it up. Very well stated, Nob. Yeah. And welcome aboard, sir. Welcome to Facebook, sir. Or ma'am, whichever you may be. <laughs> Katie Coleman, welcome aboard, Katie, says, Changing Barbara's backstory in Batman and Robin, completely removing the commissioner... And Gotham, out of her backstory, destroys the character's reason for being Batgirl in the first place. Also... Let's talk about Alicia Silverstone? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> also, aging Dick Grayson up to his 20s when his parents are killed in Batman Forever. 
and Bruce Wayne inviting Dick into his home goes from one orphan reaching out to change another young child's life to the setup for a gay porno. Yeah. <laughs> Don't have to mention the whole, I love you, family. I'm in love with you. I'm Batman, and I love you. <laughs> it was just terrible. <laughs> Kenneth Butler, welcome aboard, Kenneth. Uh, also seconded the Watchmen nomination for Best Change. Again, we'll talk about this a little bit more in the answer of the week. And also seconds the Galactus Space Cloud as his worst because faceless, bodiless, formless, and maybe odorless threats to heroes translate so well to visual mediums. It's so well, in fact, they did it again in Green Lantern. <laughs> yes, they did. Uh, our buddy Micah McGaffin wrote in saying that his worst is Electra. Electra was the most emotional <laughs> assassin ever, not even being able to see the future, which I completely blocked out, helped her mood. Best is kick-ass. Big Daddy was way better in the movie than he was in the book. I'll give you that. I agree. I liked kick-ass the movie much better than I liked kick-ass the comic. <sighs> I liked the end of the comic better than I liked the movie, but I liked the movie better than the comic. Oh, okay, good. Uh, Dwight Brown uh, says that his worst is Wanted. Ironically, I think Wanted the movie is better than Wanted the comic. I thought the movie was better. However, I do agree. He says that the magic weaving machine is completely that ridiculous. That was stupid. That yeah, was completely that was unnecessary. Uh, he also says Kick-Ass was great. A faithful depiction of all characters. Our buddy Jared Savita says that his best is Wolverine in X2. Wolvie's berserker rage when the school gets attacked made me go bananas in the theater. That is the best scene of that movie other than Nightcrawler in the White House. Uh, yeah. At the very beginning. We'll talk about that later. Nightcrawler in the White House? We'll talk about Teleporting it. around? We'll talk about it later. Oh, man. Uh, for Jared's worst, he says Asgard in Thor. What? He says it looked like it was stolen from the Star Wars prequels. I don't know. I, I mean... I, I kind of liked it as the gleaming golden city. Yeah. What, did he, what was it supposed I to look like? I thought it looked like Jack Kirby's Asgard to me. I, I agree. And finally, Ryan Lee says he can't decide if the worst change is turning Superman into a creepy stalking homewrecker in Superman Returns <laughs> or that ridiculous implied mouth they put on Snake Eyes' helmet in the G.I. Joe movie. <laughs> it's a photo finish. Yeah. Good answers for both. Well said, everybody. These were great as usual. We will check in with our answers in the answer of the week, and we'll see you again next week for another question of the week. Few creators working today write pulp detective comics like Ed Brubaker, and on this edition of Take a Look, It's in a Book, we'll be reviewing Brian Michael Bendis' favorite Ed Brubaker story, Scene (laughs) of the Crime. And I know that because Bendis wrote the introduction. That's right. Here's your solicit. Sardonic, sentimental detective Jack Harriman has moved in with his uncle Newt, an award-winning crime scene photographer, in an attempt to rebuild his shattered life and career. Putting his checkered past behind him, Jack takes on a missing persons case that quickly turns into a murder investigation, dragging him in the midst of a family scandal and a levicious and potentially deadly New Age cult. Jack's only hope for survival rests with his uncle and Molly, the woman to whom Newt has been perpetually engaged for decades. This decidedly modern take on crime fiction with a classic film noir feel is part of the grown genre of crime comics from Vertigo! Is that my cue? Yes. Welcome aboard, <laughs> Joe Patrick. <laughs> Joe, why don't you give us a little bit of... First, before we go on, why don't you give us a little bit of both of our history with Ed Brubaker and what we love about him. You know, I first became aware of Ed Brubaker probably as the writer of Gotham Central. I became aware of him before that. On what book? I'm smarter than you, though. On what book? Uh, you know what? Maybe in this one. I'm pretty sure I picked up these original issues because hmm. I liked Michael Lark so much. Suspect. But... You know, even back then, he was writing these great, uh, you know, noirish crime uh, stories. And this was a miniseries from Vertigo that was originally supposed to be uh, something that they revisited. They were they were going to do it in arcs, like five issue arcs. It spells that out in the back of the book. Oh, there's yeah. a lot of back matter there where he uh, talks about the making of the book, and it just never for whatever reason they never went back and did more well he probably got busy writing a million other things well i think it was uh, some of that and some of vertigo wanting to do other things but fair enough whenever i say get busy i I picture people doing the cabbage patch (laughs) getting busy and brubaker is getting busy over there busy (laughs) 
And so this is a kind of an early piece of Brubaker's work that a lot of us may not have known even existed uh, prior to him becoming the famous writer we know him as today. Yeah, this is very formative Brubaker. And not only Brubaker, but also Sean Phillips, right. uh, Michael Lark, rather, who was the penciler, and Sean Phillips, who was the inker. Yes. Both of whom have gone on to phenomenal careers and have collaborated with Brubaker many yeah, times. Yeah, spent on a lot of that projects. career with Brubaker, actually. That's right, that's right. Uh, Michael Lark drew a lot of Gotham Central. Sean Phillips has drawn every issue of Criminal. Yeah, Criminal, Sleeper. Yeah, and, you know, this is kind of the formation of the, F- the Fatal. partnership. Fatal, <laughs> yeah, the that was that. Yeah. Uh, remember, I said I hated that one a couple of episodes ago. I love it. I still I, love it. I don't hate Fatal. You're an idiot. One of the things, like we said, that he's most well known for is his... Pulp detective stories. Brubaker does a fantastic job bringing that classic pulp sensibility into what is a very modern story here. The main character, Jack Harriman, is a very flawed detective. He doesn't even carry a gun because he's afraid of guns. We learn that he was an alcoholic. We learn that he was a junkie for a while. We learn that he had an ex-girlfriend that he very much loved and cared about, but he was just a terrible person when he was with her and kind of ruined her life. His uncle is a, like they said, a, a celebrated crime photographer who kind of bumbles around in the rest of his life, but is really good at this one thing. And he uses him to get in behind police lines because the cops will talk to him. He's been around for so long. And the book is never predictable. It plays out really, really well. The detective story is fantastic. And like any good detective story, it twists, it turns, it gets sexy and ugly, and ultimately, the main character learns something about himself in solving this huge crime. Ed Brubaker is just so good at this, at writing human characters, and I totally agree with what Bendis says in the beginning, in his foreword, how this is his favorite Ed Brubaker story. It's probably not my favorite Brubaker story, but I think this is my favorite Ed Brubaker detective. Uh, you know, I I think I was expecting this to be more of a criminal type story, and it's not. Not at the all. The main character is not a criminal. Not He's at the all. hero. And so it was a pleasant surprise. See, I don't really see Brubaker as the writer of detective stories. I see him as the writer of crime noir characters that are gritty and from the gutter. That I guess are... I'm grouping it all into pulp. Sure, sure. But this is the first time uh, that I really remember him writing a story from the side of, you know, essentially the good guy. And this is just a straight up, like, who done it? Yeah mystery and it was so good and it kept me guessing all the way to the end and the art by michael lark though it's earlier in his career you can see hints of the michael lark that we know today and then combined with sean phillips yeah it's, it's a wonderful it's beautiful look a at. wonderfully visual drawn experience and not to mention the two of them together are so good that they can take a lot of scenes that normally would be so boring in comics, talking head scenes, you know, diner scenes, driving scenes, and make them really engrossing. Yeah, I mean, it's very cinematic. And it's very... It's, yeah, cinematic. Uh, That's it's a great very word. appealing to look at and watch, even though the images aren't moving. You know, you talked a little bit about the main character and his past and his girlfriend and the thing with the guns. And you get some of that backstory in the book... I do think that there was some of that they were going to revisit later and never did. I think so, too. But I also like how gently Brubaker slides that stuff in. Sure. So you are not getting hit over the head with narration about the right. character. I remember the first time. I this isn't an important yeah. plot point. <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's yeah. gently slipped in there, and it works really, really well. It's just his very... I guess, decompressed sense of writing where he takes you for a little ride and you pick up what you pick up. Ultimately, you might just read this as a good whodunit. I took a lot more away from that because I like the main character so much. Yeah, I really would have liked to read more of this and maybe someday they'll revisit it. I would love it if he would do more Jack Harriman. Because obviously, you know, he was able to take it to Image and get it published. So they own it. Right. Or at least Brubaker owns it. Yes, because the reprint, not from Vertigo. It is not from Vertigo. This is a, a sexy oversized hardcover from image the first time it's been printed in hardcover too right and it's got a a great little set of pages in the back detailing the making of yeah old scripts and notes and and art examples and here's michael lark's pencils here's sean phillips inks it's 
a really great package. This is a must-have for any Brubaker fan, definitely. And it's cheap. It's only 25 bucks for a hardcover uh, five-issue story. It's well worth your time. Put it on your shelf. I'm giving this one a buy it. Gigantic buy it from surprise, me. Surprise, surprise. We yeah. picked a book we love. Are we ever going to pick one that we hate? <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> because what's fun about that? I suppose. Next month, we will be reviewing Warren Ellis's Global Frequency, which is coming back into print for the first time in a single volume next Wednesday. If you want to read along with us, go pick up your copy next Wednesday at a comic shop near you. Sort of break it, break it down like this. That is it for the THN second birthday celebration episode. If two nerds crushing cupcakes and beer and belching into microphones is your idea of a birthday bash, uh, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes where if you want to prove your THN love, you can leave us a star rating and written review to help us get into the iTunes top 10. Huge thanks to this week's donors, Randy and Tab. And if you'd like to help keep us in party hats and My Little Pony Cupcakes, you can make your donation in any amount at the new and improved twoheadednerd.com. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email, twoheadednerd at gmail.com, where you can send us your love slash hate mail, the comic that you would like us to review. And don't forget to check out all the new content from the THN Love Slaves at twoheadednerd.com, like Gems in the Bin by TD Dubs, who this week reached into the quarter bin and pulled out Mickey Spillane's Mike Danger from Techno Comics. Another hard-boiled detective story. There you go. And Dave DeMarco's Nerd TV, where he dissects the latest arrow and answers the question, can it get any worse? (laughs) And remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion. If you want to hear our answers, be sure to check out the TwoHeadedNerd.com web-exclusive, not-safe-for-Walmart audio blog, The Answer of the Week. Next week, we'll sneak back into the comic studio to interview the to-be-announced <laughs> creator of our choice. And all you guys are invited to TGN Birthday Bash this February 2nd at Legend Comics and Coffee. There'll be cupcakes, DJ Matt Bowen will be spinning nerdy tunes, and local artists will be drawing superhero versions of you. And it's going to be a little Q&A session with DJ and I. You can go to TwoHeadedNerd.com for details on how you can Skype us or Twitter your question. That's right. Interactive party. If you can't show up. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Rob Turner, whose love of this show has inspired him to reroute his band's next tour. So it detours through Omaha. Word to you, Rob. Who is your damn band? (laughs) That's right. We want to let us pimp you. Tell us this stuff so we can pimp the name of the band. Come on, man. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. Happy birthday, baby. Happy birthday, sir. Oh,